Uh, today I want to um, communicate something that's important for us as a church, um, and, and I hope that you see the value of this today. We're going to talk about our core values. The reason I, I, we do this once a year as a church, and the reason we like to do this is because um, I think it's very important for you to understand, as a church, I should say, we think it's very important for you to understand how significant your relationship with Jesus is to this valley and the difference that it can make. And uh, when we looked at last week what Jesus desired to do by building his church, we recognized that church doesn't exist. We don't show up to church on Sunday just to have, um, go to church. Church is not a social club. Um, there are, should be socialization, some socializing that should ha- happen within the body of Christ, right? But, but the church is not primarily a social club. Jesus created his church um, a- as a movement, and when we looked at this last week in Matthew chapter 16, we recognized this, that Jesus asked the question to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, um, you are the Christ, right? And then Jesus gives this answer. He says, Jesus answered Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When Jesus is referencing this rock, remember he's standing right out of this place literally called the gates of hell. He's showing his disciples this temple to this false god and this uh, debauchery of worship that just takes place in this area. And it's hewn into the side of a mountain. As they look at this rock and they stand in awe and all these people gathered around, Jesus then refers to himself as that rock. And he talks about the power of his church. So he, he builds this movement on himself. He calls his people to carry out this movement. And when he calls us to carry out this movement, he tells us really that it's unstoppable. That not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. And when Jesus is referencing this place as a literal place, Jesus is doing so in recognition of the people that are trapped in it. They're caught up in this false worship, and Jesus is interested in rescuing their souls. To see them uh, transfer their lives from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so Jesus built this movement, carried out by his church for the purpose of rescuing people, to see them become fully devoted followers of Christ. And now, as you think about the purpose of the church, so is now our position in a body of Christ to be a part of this movement that God calls us to. And so seeing your value in this is important. It's not a question of if God has called you, but where and maybe how. And so you think about the significance of what Jesus has done. If if Jesus is who he says he is, Lord, God, Savior, uh, the very communication of his life and what he's demonstrated for us says to us there is a big need. I mean, the fact that Jesus would take on the identity of Savior, God would become flesh, and he would give his life for us, demonstrates something, something significant here, that in order for God to do something like that, what, what, what need must there be in this world, right? Like, for, for God to become flesh, for God to call himself Savior, this rescue mission must be pretty significant. When you think about it, great movements are born out of great need. And what greater need there must be than than what would require God to become flesh and literally give his life for us. And so I would say this great need uh, that we we see that Jesus is meeting and creating this movement, there, there is no greater movement that could exist than to think about what it would require for God to take on flesh and give his life for us. And in that movement, we find purpose. And when we identify purpose in our lives, it really fuels passion. Purpose fuels passion. 
When you find the reason for which you exist and you can live for that reason and it makes a difference and more than just a difference for today but a difference for eternity. That should make us excited for what God called us to. What Jesus is saying in Matthew 16 really is is this idea of commissioning. And the thought of a commission is that you've, you've been called for a purpose by someone's authority and there is no greater authority to call you than God. In fact, some refer to this as the Great Commission. In, in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, he tells his disciples, go into the world and, and make disciples of all nations. This movement is for all people groups in which Jesus has called us to in this world. And that purpose fueling our passion for a movement which cannot be stopped, that not even the gates of hell can prevail. That's what you belong to. Churches have tried to simplify that statement, the singularity thought for this great commission. And you think about, um, if a church isn't living out the great commission, I, I can just tell you it's not a healthy church. Please don't, don't go there. <laughs> we'll treat it more like, more like a social club than a movement. And God didn't create a social club. He really created an army for a purpose. Not to fight against people, but to fight for them. And the idea of the the thought of the gates of hell is this picture of of people sort of being trapped inside and and you sent on a rescue mission to knock down these walls of which on the authority of Christ is possible, not even the gates of hell will prevail. And then on the inside, we rescue people to see their lives transformed. And that thought of that mission statement, that singularity calling which God has brought to us, you think we've been commissioned for a mission making you a missionary. Some churches try to solidify their mission statements. Some, some do it simplistically. They just simply say our church exists to make disciples. And that is the purpose of the church. Some, some add a little more to that. They say that they want to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Others love God, love people, make disciples, connect people to Jesus and one another. We exist, how about this one, to make heaven more crowded, helping people take their next steps towards Christ. Or to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. At ABC, we really say this. We want to see your life transformed in Christ. Because we understand if your life is transformed in Christ, God will use that to transform your relationships for Christ. Jesus wants to change your life. And so when you read a statement like this, that not even the gates of hell will prevail against it, and this gives us purpose, and purpose fuels passion, we're like, let's do this. Let's go into the world and make a difference for Christ. Well, in, in thinking about this, the Apostle Paul sort of t- took a step back from the statement. And he said, rather than just run at this full speed and just start saying things that you might regret or doing things that don't make a whole lot of sense, Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, um, I have become all things to all people. So that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. What Paul is saying in this passage of scripture is he's talking about the contextualization of where you live. That in order to make the greatest impact for Christ in this world, it it comes with the thought of understanding the people around you and the obstacles in which they face. I mean, just verses before this, Paul says, to the Jews, I became a Jew. And to the Greek, I became a Greek. I became all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. 
Paul cared about the Lord, and because he cared about the Lord, he cared about people. And he wanted to do what God had called him to do to best minister to the people around him. And so when you think in terms of missions-minded or a mission mindset, it's important to consider the hearts of the individuals around you which God calls you to reach. Missionaries are sent all around the world to represent Christ. I had a friend that went to a closed country, and... um, he started to tell me some of the things that he was learning in order to relate to the people because he loved the people there. Like he learned the language, he learned the culture, he learned the history, he visited the area. And this was, this was very interesting to me, but he said to me, you know, one of the things that makes people distrust you is that oftentimes, even though you might try to fit in, you might speak the language, you don't smell the same. <laughs> and that's weird, isn't it? Like, you know, think about that. You ever been in a conversation, something just doesn't smell right, Literally. And then you just sort of back away. You're like, can't wait till this ends so I don't have to keep smelling this. <laughs> like, who did that? Like, take it, take the responsibility, right? Like, uh, and, and so smell even impacts the way. And he said this. He said, uh, being a missionary, um, he, when he went over to this country to visit, he said, uh, you know, it's funny. They said about Americans, we all smell the same. We smell like beef and baby powder. <laughs> He's like, I don't want to smell like that. I, I care about the people so much. I want to smell like the culture. And so he started eating the diet a year before he got there just so he could relate to the people better. And that's what Paul's saying here. And you care about Jesus, you're going to care about people. Because Jesus came on a rescue mission. And what Jesus loves is people. And if you love Jesus, then you're going to love people. In order to best love people, you're going to learn the ways of the people around you so you can minister to their hearts as Jesus would minister to their hearts. And so we think about ABC's place, making an impact in the community around us and the hearts of the people that belong here. Some of the values that we carry that we feel would help us best make a difference in the lives around us, that, that is the values of our church. And so if you grabbed a bulletin, there's actually some notes inside of there that you can write. If you have a phone, you can download the Alpine Bible Church app, click on notes, and at the top you'll find some of these values. But I want to talk about uh, some of the values that we carry as a church that we feel will help us uh, make a difference in the lives of people around you. And here's one thing I want you to know about values. Um, values can change. In fact, I think values should change because we should always be asking the question, what's going to help us make the biggest difference in the lives of people around us? And just as culture changes, so values can change along with the culture. Now, the truth that drives them does not change, but values themselves can adapt. When a, when a church takes its methodology and they make it theology, you always run the risk of making yourself irrelevant to the next generation. But when you really care about the people around you, you'll be asking the question, how can my heart best minister to the people around me as God has called me to on this mission, being commissioned by him? So when you think in terms of values, here's, here's our first value as a church. Very simplistic. We never want to forget this. We almost don't even need to say this. I mean, this should be the foundation of everything. That is simply to know Christ. 
God's desire for your life is to know him. God created you for relationship. God created you to belong within the, the, the DNA of who you are and the way God has designed you. He has, has made you to know him and to delight in him for eternity, to, to enjoy uh, not only God, but relationships around you. God made you a relational being. And so if you are new here to ABC, I want, to, want you to know uh, our main driving force behind everything that we do is to know Jesus and to make him known. In fact, I would say this, that when you look at these values, they really relate to one another. And if I just had to say the pinnacle of all of it starts here. The reason we gather today, the reason we're here is not just to simply have our presence on some sort of checklist so that way we get great attendance for 2019. It's that our hearts would know God and we would draw near to him. Paul said it like this. I love this section of scripture, Philippians chapter three. This might be one of my top five passages in the scripture. Um, If you read this passage, Paul talks about religion. At some point in life, like when we start recognizing that we want a relationship with God, our our tendency oftentimes as people is to jump into religion. And, And Paul says in Philippians chapter three that he actually is abandoning all of that. He says, I was the the most Jewish person of all Jewish people, (laughs) but I forsook it all. And he tells you why in verse eight, he says, what is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And this is such an important beginning point because, you know, when we talk about this list of values as a church, you can read this list as an obligation, but truthfully, I think if your desire is to know Jesus, God will make these values a hunger within your heart that you don't really have to even strive to achieve. It's just good to know what the target is because when your heart just knows Jesus, I think, I think these things become a natural outflow of your life. And Paul is saying within his life, he's got one pursuit, one hunger to know Christ. Yeah, you know, I, I could... Uh, Add to this list all sorts of spiritual things that you can involve in your life, like praying, serving, uh, reading God's word, like fasting, I don't know, um, giving, whatever. You could just come up with a list of things to do. But reality is, if your life hungers for God, you're going to want to do the things that draw you near to what you care about. Loving Jesus. I really appreciate as a church, we, we, when we write this value of knowing Christ, we don't just simply say no God and leave it in some arbitrary form. No, we say very tangibly, we want to know the God who has made himself known to us very specifically by becoming flesh, to know Christ. And so when our soul hungers for God, I don't think you have to be told to read the Bible. I think you'll want to know him and so you'll read the Bible. I think if you love Jesus, you won't need to be told to pray. I think you'll seek God and want to talk to God because you love the Lord and you'll want to pray. I don't think you need to be told to serve. I think when Jesus is the prize of your life, you want to share that with others and so you'll serve. 
But knowing Christ is the primary driving force behind who we are as a body of believers. You want to be a great leader, you got to be a great follower. You can't lead any further than you've been led. You cannot impart what you do not possess. As you know Christ, then this naturally shares into our next value, which is to share the truth in love. If you're new here, we want you to know that our, our church wants to be a place where you feel safe to ask questions. So no, really, there's not anything that you're going to ask that's going to shock us. <laughs> Nothing even personal. I don't think that you could ask me that I'm, I'm going to worry about. Like, we want to be that. You can't learn unless you can ask. And we're not going to stop in the middle of your question and be like, oh my word, she asked that question. Like, that's not, that's not who we are. I, I come from a place in my life where I was very skeptical in any belief in any type of God. Uh, for me to be convinced to follow anything, it was going to have to have some logic on the basis of it. I mean, you think about this, guys. We're not just believing in things that are natural. You're believing in something that's supernatural, which defies the laws of logic in some ways, right? And, and so and you need to understand why you would springboard in a position like that and what basis do you operate on to even begin to live that way in your life. And so when we talk about sharing truth with people, we're not here to prove we're right and other people are wrong. We're not here to bash people over the head with that. We understand Jesus used truth to serve our lives, and so we want to use truth to serve other people. And so when you think about the, the idea of truth, truth is important because truth is a catalyst for change. Truth is a means by which we worship. Truth, truth frees us. Truth transforms us. The word of God here is highly valued. When we come on Sunday mornings, most of the time when we teach, except for today, it's expository, right? We go verse by verse. So when you see someone teaching, you know whether or not what they're saying is crazy or if it's true. And so the word of God, the truth of God, that's what transforms life. It's significant to us. But at the same time, we, we know that not everybody comes to, to, to the Lord through the same way, right? Like as a church, we take a stand in, in certain ways, but we need to have to give people space to figure things out. Sometimes you need a place to belong before you believe and to know that at least there is a place you can ask questions and that we care about you. We're, we're a church that, that's for you. And so the, the truth is important to us, but at the same time, the way we share truth is important to us. You can be right, but to be right in the wrong way is to still be wrong. God just doesn't care just about what you say but he also cares about the way you say it. Does it come from a heart of compassion and serving? Or does it come from a heart of belittling and elevating yourself above another? Colossians, Paul said it like this, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of your opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Good theology, guys, is demonstrated in good love. How you care for the soul around you. I mean, it's, it's what Jesus did. And Jesus even told us in John 13, 35, people will know you are my disciples by your what? Love. 
And so sharing truth in a heart of compassion is important. Um, sharing truth in, in love. I find one of the best ways, I think, for people to, to walk in truth isn't to simply just come to them like you're their Holy Spirit and you're there to convict them and just to share truth. But rather, rather than just tell people what to believe, just ask them questions about what they believe. Who is Jesus? Tell me what you think about Jesus. And then just have a dialogue over Jesus. People kind of buck against those that want to come to them and tell them everything they need to do. We like to discover things on our own. And so walking life with people, asking questions rather than just demanding for their belief, I think is important. That's why we say as a church, we like to create that space. We want it to feel like a a welcoming place to to ask questions. That's why we have things like Simply Christian on Sunday night. We understand people are coming from all kinds of different places. One of the things that church, I would say in, in general, needs to be careful with is this thought of demanding morality before people have any trust in Jesus at all. Because we shouldn't be shocked when people come through our doors and they live like the world. Because all they might know is the world. And more, more than just demand their morality according to whatever it is that we think is important to believe in, I think it's far more important than they find Jesus. Because if Jesus becomes a part of their life, he will transform their heart. So you need to be patient. Be truthful, but be patient. And Paul says, let your speech always be with grace and season with salt. Number three, in tying to sharing the truth with love, it's, it's to say this, that we need to care for every soul. Every soul matters to us. And I want you to know, if you've got the notes, there's a, mis, mis, or a typo on the verse reference. 1 John 4.20 should be the verse reference off of the side of this and not 1 John 5.1. 1 John 4.20, if you say that you love God and you hate your brother, you're a liar. That's what it says. So it's, what, it's identifying that if you really love God, you're going to love what God loves. God loves people. And so for us, every soul matters. <clears throat> Suppose this morning... I brought in front of you uh, the picture of the Mona Lisa. I held it up and I said, here's the Mona Lisa and I described the Mona Lisa for you. And then once I was done talking about the Mona Lisa, I just threw it in the air and I drop kicked and punted it over into the corner. What would you think about that? Or say on the other hand, I'm doing like the Declaration of Independence. You know, and, I, and I show you, and we talk about the Declaration of Independence and all of a sudden I throw it up and I just punt it to the other side. How would you feel about something like that? It's priceless, right? It's frustrating. Why would he do that? That disrespect. Well, can I, can I just tell you? People are God's Mona Lisa. Or to America, the Declaration of Independence. There is nothing more valuable God created than a human being. So much so that God has given his life for people. What greater value could be placed on something than that? How beautiful it is in your life when you honor God by honoring people, by sharing truth and loving them where they're at. Caring for every soul matters to God. Hospitality is a thought that is, as huge, is huge in Scripture, the way that you care for people. It's, a, it's even a qualification of an elder that they are hospitable. Recognizing that God calls us in this movement that he's created not to fight against people, but to fight for them. Even when they're difficult to love. We still love. 
We want it to, to make it hard for people to hate us. People are going to disagree with us, guys. People will disagree with us because you have a stand in Jesus. And so that means anything opposed to Jesus will contrary, be contrary to your view. And sometimes people might be opposed to our beliefs. And people are going to disagree with us. We're going to love them anyway. Sometimes I say this, my wife doesn't like this, but I mean this literally. Um, I want to love the hell out of people. I want to love people so much that it makes it hard for them to hate you. You ever pass that person that you just get frustrated by them, but they're so nice. They're so nice, right? They care about me. I wish they'd do something mean so I could be mad at them for a legitimate reason, right? But as a church... God calls us to do that. One of the things in Scripture that really helped me understand this, um, there are a couple stories in the Gospels where, uh, you know, you're, sometimes our picture of Jesus is just, he's always got perfect hair. He wears these white robes and there's never a stain on it, right? Perfect perm Jesus and his sandals and always clean. And then there's these couple stories in the Gospels where Jesus just goes bananas, and like you read these stories with him with a whip, flipping tables, yelling at people. I don't know what he's doing, but, but people are just like, he's lost his mind. Everybody's running away. I, like I, forever I would read those stories and be like, what is going on here, right? But, but then I finally did some study behind those passages of scripture. One of them is in Matthew chapter uh, 21 verse 12. It says this about Jesus. He entered the temple and drove out all of those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money, money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And then Jesus gives a statement, I'll read it in just a second, but um, it took me a while to learn what in the world Jesus was doing here, but he's communicating to us really how he sees people as, as his Mona Lisa. Um, in the temple, the temple only ever had two rooms. God's temple, Old Testament, only ever had two rooms, okay? But around the temple, they started building these parameters. And, and the furthest point out in these parameters they built was, was this place they referred to for the Gentiles or for the world. And so they, ha- they had the inner part where people that were going to make sacrifices could go. They had different courtyards that went out from there. And the outer courtyard was the place for the Gentiles. It was God's place to invite the outside world in to see how God's hand, hand was moving was in this world. And so the court of the Gentiles eventually became this place where the Jewish community was no longer allowing the Gentile world in. They had set up all of these areas of business for the temple itself to the point that people didn't feel welcome. And it ticked Jesus off. And so Jesus goes into the court of the Gentiles, that's where he's at in this temple, and he just rips everything out. Because he wanted his place to be a place where the world could come see the goodness of who he was. And he even says it in the next verse. Look at this, verse 13. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a a, a robber's den. He he refers to this in another passage as a, a place for the nations to pray. It's a place to seek God's face and to know him. Jesus is communicating to us the importance of every soul. Because I don't know if I need to remind you, or maybe it's healthy just to remind you of how precious it is when anyone comes through our doors here in Utah. It is not always easy for people to walk with Jesus here. In fact, it can come at a cost. Every soul that steps through our doors matters to us. And the way that we care for those souls matters to Jesus. 
Can I tell you, out of all the days that you serve Christ, can I, can I just tell you the, the day that's going to make the biggest impact? It's today. It's right now. You know, think as you witness for Jesus throughout this world, you're going to encounter people, and a lot of times people's hearts are hardened. But when are people's hearts most sensitive? It's on Sunday. That's why people come. And so I, I think in any day that you choose to love deeply, any day you want to set your mind to be a light for Christ, I think it starts today in our lives. How can we best love? And, and this leads me to the next point, which is to be a family. I'm going to take these just a little bit quickly. quickly. But we want to be a family. If you are new here, we want you to, to belong. We want to be a place that you can belong. Um, we could say it like this in a clever cliche. Teamwork makes the dream work, right? <laughs> We, we can't do what God's called us to do without each other. In fact, the way that God has gifted you as a believer is for the purpose of being able to give what God has gifted you away. Meaning the Bible talks about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are intended to be exercised and to be given to other people in, in the way that God has blessed you. And so we serve one another with the gifts God's given us. I said this to us last week, that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit are all words of relationship. You can't walk in the Spirit without having someone to express the fruit of the Spirit to. Anyone can say they're a loving person until they get near someone else, right? Yeah, I'm great when I'm by myself. But it's not until I'm other people that I realize I'm not as patient as I thought I was, right? I'm not as gracious as I like to think I am. And you learn where you need to grow. How God's spirit can better move in, in your life. And so God created us to belong. God created us uh, to, to work through us. When one of us succeeds, all of us succeed. In fact, Ecclesiastes says this, chapter four, verse nine, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either, either of them fall, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Can I tell you, out of all the values of the church, this is the one I, I carry in prayer more than any other. The reason I do that is because the nature of Utah right now is not an easy place for me. <laughs> and what I mean is we are growing so rapidly as a state, especially in this area. I feel like some days I'm just preaching to, a, to the, uh, the crowd like it's, or to the parade. It's like, hi, how are you? Goodbye. Hi, how are you? Goodbye. And then people move on. Within the last 60 months I was adding up, we had um, over 20 families move more than 100 miles from our church. That's a lot of people to say goodbye to. And I feel like I stink at goodbyes. <laughs> I hate them. I want to be a family. Right? Growing Jesus together, encourage one another. If you feel like you're not a part of a family, can I just encourage you not to just wait for people to come to you, but to try, to try your best to connect as well. That's the reason we have connection groups. Is why we call them connection groups, so that we saw that as a place to connect, groups that we can belong to. You can't know everybody. You can't encourage everybody, but you can encourage somebody. I think part of our worship on Sunday is just to get to know one another, encourage each other in that fellowship. Like we are completely aware that our building has limitations. It's called as soon as service is over, we feel cramped and we just sort of get to the couch trough outside and we just kind of crab walk down the hallway, right? Which by the way, we just got approval to build. So that's great. But we'll have a different entrance with a little bit more room when we come in. 
But because our limitations and our building are, are known to us, taking an opportunity to get to know each other is, is important. And so being a family. Uh, next is, is make disciples. The operative word is make here. Um, we need to be intentional uh, uh, about doing this. If what we're, we're producing isn't reproducing, then we need to stop. And I don't mean physically, I mean spiritually, right? But we, we, we need to uh, see how God and the mission that he's called us into this world continues to reproduce through the world uh, that God has led us in. Uh, a church's power is not in its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. I think God measures our success not by just what we do here on Sunday, but what we do when we leave. Uh, when we think about in terms of what God desires to do in making disciples, I like this. Do not quench the spirit. First Thessalonians 5.19. Don't quench the spirit. Meaning when you come to know Jesus, Jesus works within your heart to, to make him known more in your life. And then make him known more through your life. And so as God leads your life, continue to surrender to him to allow him to work through you. And we're all the time thinking about how we can do this better, how we can make disciples better. Does your soul hunger for God? Don't quench that spirit. Spend time with him. As a church, I appreciate the desire we have to see people be devoted followers of Jesus or be disciples to to grow in that hunger, um, you know, adding this year the, the, the Simply Christian for us. We're looking at adding a podcast here soon so you can learn while you're on the go and growing in the Lord and it can encourage you. When we add on our new room here in the back. We just want to put in a little mini bookstore for us as a church family. And so we're always wanting to encourage you to grow. But more than anything, that desire starts within you and following after Jesus. And continue to surrender your life to him. Not quenching your spirit. Like what God does in us is supernatural. That spirit that works in you, don't take for granted. Let, let God use that to, to transform your life. And when we make disciples, here's the last one. Or there's one more, but this is really the last one. The, the final one's more of a, a summation of all of it. But it's to change the world. We're not an audience, we're an army, right? The question isn't if you're called, but where you're called. If change the world sounds cheesy to you, then say reach the world, okay? <laughs> but the point is God wants us to think bigger than ourselves. We're not about our kingdom, but about his kingdom. Some churches want to tell you how great they are. We, however, just want to tell people how great Jesus is. It's about his glory. Well, as a church family, I like to mention for us regularly, even as we think about building what God's called us to here, um, I, I like to remind us just in Utah County, right? eight towns that have never had a mainstream Christian church. Our desire is to not make our church enormous. Our, our, our desire is to reach this county. So we want to constantly be giving ourselves away for his glory. It's not about us. It's about him. Um, Philippians chapter two says it like this, have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. Although he exists in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he'd emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of men. 
So what it's saying to us is uh, our example is Jesus and the way that we live in light of this world and on mission for Christ, that we look at Jesus and Jesus gave his life. He was God in the flesh. And even though he was God in the flesh, even though he was the most important person to ever exist, even though if he walked in this room right now, he would be the most important person in this room. Jesus didn't have the kind of character to say, hey guys, look at me. I'm the most important person in this room. Instead, it says he took the form of a servant. To the point he emptied himself to death on the cross. If we follow him, what should be our demeanor? And the attitude of, of our lives. I like it like this. Somebody compared this uh, to me once. He, they said, uh, you know, doing ministry is, is, is like the comparison of the chicken or the pig. And then they asked me, which one are you? <laughs> And I want to tell you the correct answer is the pig. This is the only time on Sunday I'll ever tell you to be a pig. All right, I'm not trying to insult you. But I want you to think about that for a minute. Chicken or the pig? You're on a farm and you want to eat. Chicken just kind of gives an egg here and there. But a pig gives its life. Jesus made a difference because he gave his life. You want to make a difference. Use your life. What are you? A chicken or a pig? This church will see success and continue to see success as we give our lives for Christ as he has given his life for us. When we think about these values, the last thing that we just want to remember to do is to celebrate. When God changes my life, your life, or anyone's life around us. As we continue to see this community grow and the impact made in our valley, we're going to celebrate. Now, the biblical word for this is to rejoice. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. It's that attitude of rejoicing that recognizes um, that every good thing that we have is really God's. Every great thing that happens, it's, it's because of the Lord. A rejoicing person is a person that recognizes in their heart that the grace of God that's been good to their life. It's really someone I think that's close to the Lord. When we're not rejoicing, it's because we, we take things for granted and we treat things as if they're owed to us rather than a gift that's been given to us. And so this morning, This morning's a reason to rejoice. Why? God didn't know you today. God didn't know you today. didn't owe you anything good that you have in your life, but you've got it. Because he's good. It gives us reason to rejoice. When I think about a church making a difference in any community where it lives, here's something I know about us. We aren't going to be perfect. We're, on a, we're, we're learning as we go along as well. Walking with God, caring for souls around us. There are, there are days where you're going to mess up. But just because you mess up doesn't mean you should quit. In fact, one of my favorite verses, I'll just end with us here, is, is Lamentations chapter 3. Listen to this. In the midst of our failures, this is what God says. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. His compassion never fails. They are new every morning. 
great God is your faithfulness. When you think about all that God has called you to to do in this world or what it means to represent God in this world as one who is commissioned on mission as a missionary, you're not going to be perfect. And then when, when we make mistakes, we can come before God and just give all these buts. But God, how could you love me? But God, why would you be like this? But God, you know, how could you care for my soul? And, and his answer isn't because of your conduct. It's because of his character. Today he's good. Tomorrow he's good. And so it says on the basis of his character as it relates to us, his loving kindness never ceases and his compassion never fails. And every morning is new for you in him. Great is his faithfulness. Guys, what kind of church do we want to be? A church that's driven to know Christ, to share his truth and love, to care for every soul, to be a family, to make disciples and change the world. And along the way, We want to celebrate that God who has made himself known. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.